Hey, this is Luke. I'm going to go ahead and read an audio version of this week's newsletter because I've gotten quite a few requests to do this. So if this goes well, if there's a positive response to it, I will try to do these whenever I can. This week's newsletter is titled, Don't Feed Your Conscience to the Dogs. Manifesting one's innermost thoughts and moral convictions should never be done at gunpoint. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That's a quote from the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and I thought it made a fitting epigraph for this week's essay. We live in a society where people are forced to manifest their conscience on issues ranging from sexuality to geopolitics to abortion, even on whether or not they agree with someone else's tweet in real time and practically at gunpoint. The threat of ostracization, job loss, or public ridicule lurks behind the slightest deviation from the mimetic moral norm of the day, even among people who recognize that this is obviously a serious problem. I believe the problem goes deeper than they may even imagine. The issue is not merely about free speech, as Jonathan Turley thinks. At a far more fundamental level, it's a fight about the very nature of the human person, a battle between those who acknowledge and respect the existence of the conscience in the first place, the sacred center of a person, even if at times it may be wrong, and those who do not. The conscience is the place where a person is alone with God, where he must confront life's most essential fundamental truths, and where he must either assent to or reject those truths. So the act of trying to gain forcible entry into another person's conscience is not unlike a kind of spiritual assault, even like a kind of rape, and it can deeply wound and scar, especially when the conscience is in a formative stage of development. I learned about the importance of erecting boundaries around my own conscience at my first job after college, when I dipped my toe into the investment banking waters for what turned out to be less than a year before I moved to California and started my company. But in our little investment banking group, the politics were particularly nasty. The junior people realized quickly that senior bankers were trying to sniff out our degree of orthodoxy, our opinions about everything from the president to clean energy. And this was back in 2004 and five. And that there were consequences, professional consequences, for saying the wrong thing. As young and overly ambitious junior people, none of us wanted to be penalized for coming down on the wrong side of an issue, just as we were starting our careers. We simply wanted to be evaluated based on our glorified secretarial duty merits. It was around this time that I stumbled upon, in an obscure book on church history, which I was known to read from time to time, partly as a way to self-medicate and escape the spreadsheet-laden life I was immersed in, but also because I was seeking an explanation for the cultural influence of religion at a time when I was really struggling to know how I felt about it. And I stumbled upon this really particularly strange papal decree that helped me understand some of what was going on. In 1890, Pope Leo XIII abolished the common practice in the church at the time of the compulsory manifestation of conscience for men in religious orders. So they were no longer compulsorily required to manifest their conscience to their superiors. 
No superior of a religious order could force anyone else to fully reveal their conscience on an issue. It had to be done freely. This decree expressly forbid those in authority from inducing others to such manifestation. This teaching was built upon the church's understanding of the dignity of the human person and the need to respect the proper unfolding of one's relationship with their creator and how that relationship is expressed at a particular time and in particular ways. So this decree that I stumbled upon in Latin called Quae Mad Modum has been reinforced and expanded since that time. And it's really a testament to the church's development in its understanding of the conscience and the proper practices around the expression of the conscience. And in my view, this the spirit of that decree by Pope Leo XIII is one that our entire society could learn a lesson from. Never more than now. So shortly after this time, I began to develop, started to begin to develop the skill of prudent self-disclosure. It's one that I'm by no means perfect at, but I'm definitely improved now that at least I know it's at stake. Learning to say no can be difficult, but learning not to reveal one's conscience on every single issue that hits the news can be even harder, especially in a society where it's seen as good and noble to have a take or a strong moral stance on practically everything. You know, typical response if you don't is what? You don't keep up with the news? Haven't you heard? It's almost viewed as irresponsible to not have a moral conviction about everything that's happening. So I developed responses ranging from, I don't have anything to say about that, to no comment to, let's just say, much more strongly worded statements that would help make some boundaries clear. Why? Well, because in those situations, there was absolutely nothing to be gained from sharing my moral convictions about things that had nothing to do with my job. There was an asymmetry of outcome that frankly would have made it idiotic for me to do so. And I realized right then that learning the skill of maintaining my silence at the appropriate times was actually a mark of maturity, not timidity or moral agnosticism. It simply means I choose not to share my conscience with you, period. Usually that's because I don't trust the person to honor it, to honor my conscience and to engage with me respectfully. I think back to those days because today I see a similar situation playing out in our culture everywhere. People are baited and coaxed into revealing things to people who have no goodwill toward them at all and who may even seek to harm them. Yet most people will have never heard anything resembling the norms developed in the church around manifesting one's conscience. That decree that I found buried in those monastic rules. And I think that's a tragedy, actually. This is a really important understanding. With the loss of human dignity, with the loss of the recognition of human dignity or the sacred core of every person where the conscience lies, come new assaults on the conscience. I wish we all talked less about free speech, which has become something of a conservative thirst trap, and more about what the conscience really is, its reality, its existence, and why the conscience should be protected. The conscience is the organ of freedom, in the words of the, in the, words of the German philosopher Robert Spayman. It's an organ 
It's an organ that a person must exercise, spiritual organ, in order to come to a full knowledge to embrace the truth, but on their own time and in their own way. This is a vision of the human person that has all but been lost in our secular society. If the conscience is being trampled on today, maybe it's because the broader public doesn't recognize or simply refuses to acknowledge the sacred ground on which they're walking. And if this trampling continues, I really fear our society will ultimately suffer even more severe consequences. The further erosion of trust. The inability to distinguish real speech from compelled speech. And people who can't tell whether they themselves are even telling the truth or not, or what their moral convictions even are. The conflict between Russia and Ukraine has brought our predicament even further into the light, in my opinion. Before the shots were even done ringing out, people were expected to have perfectly formed moral clarity about what was going on. It became apparent that not only are there negative consequences for saying the wrong thing in the American public, there are also consequences for not saying anything at all. That's scary. Just earlier this month, the Metropolitan Opera in New York City parted ways with the star Russian soprano Anna Litrepka for not directly denouncing Vladimir Putin. She'd already made a statement condemning the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but that wasn't enough. Now, who knows why she chose not to denounce Mr. Putin? It could have been because she feared repercussions from him, general backlash at home, or that she was dealing with sensitive family issues. Or it could be because she does, in fact, support Mr. Putin's invasion. We don't know. Only Netrebka knows. But that's precisely the point. The conclusion that she arrived at in her conscience, if she did even arrive at one at all at this point, about the morality of Russia's invasion, has no bearing on whether she's able to hit her high note in front of a crowd at the Met. Can the conscience be wrong? Of course it can. And that's why, at least in the Catholic tradition, every person is thought to have a solemn duty to form their conscience. And the community or the country of which they're a part has a really important role to play in that process, in the formation of the conscience. But now we can't let our monoculture become a monoconscience. We should fight to erect healthy boundaries around our conscience, while also respecting the boundaries that others have around theirs. We must understand that nobody, nobody should be forced or even expected to manifest their innermost thoughts. Their moral convictions about things are often the fruit of hours, if not years, of careful consideration and grappling or prayer. So why throw them to the proverbial dogs who will make our innermost beliefs into memes and sound bites that scarcely, hardly represent them at all, and might even deliberately misrepresent them? Be careful. Now, Christianity is guilty of its own sins when it comes to compulsion. There's a painfully long period in the history of the church during which coercive tactics and forced conversions, which were not truly conversions at all, were imposed on others. People who had not come to truly embrace the truths that Christianity proposes in the silence and the freedom of their own conscience, that sacred place. But I think maybe 
those painful lessons learned, the purgation that Christianity has had to undergo to learn them, forced to learn these lessons, has allowed the church, has allowed Christianity in general to develop a more mature understanding of conscience that goes far deeper than the, quote, free speech debate that we often have in the American public. This understanding of the conscience produced very saintly figures like Sir Thomas More and John Henry Newman, who spoke and wrote a lot about the conscience. These men helped witness to and develop a rich theological understanding and respect for this uniquely human organ that we know as the conscience. And that understanding really deserves to be more widely shared. When the conscience compels, we have to follow it. But when the conscience is under attack, we have to fortify and protect it. It should never be fed to the dogs.